0: good evening Los Angeles hey everybody tickets are still available for Love It or Leave It, live in Minneapolis on June 7th, we'll be joined by Guy Branham, Anna Marie Cox, and we'll have Minnesota's own Senator Amy Klobuchar, the next presidential candidate to face the Love It or Leave It gauntlet. Also, subscribe to This Land and listen to the trailer right now at thislandpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. It's a really great true crime story about two murders separated by over a century playing out right now in the Supreme Court control of half the land of Oklahoma is at stake and has to do with tribal laws. And actually some of the justices have not been voting the way you think, it's very interesting stuff. And there's a murder in it, so we're trying to get some of that true crime mojo. Those things rocket to the top of the charts. Love it or leave it, never got past number two. Why? (laughs) S-Town. Oh, we're launching a new podcast Pod Save America, rockets to number one. Pod Save the World, rockets to number one. Time to launch Love It or Leave It, Oops, Serial Part Two. How are you guys doing? How many of you were surprised by what Robert Mueller said on television? Good job, you can read, you're all readers. <laughs> A lot of reading comprehension issues being discovered by people who saw Robert Mueller read aloud from the thing he wrote two weeks ago. The thing came with built-in fucking cliff notes. It was 400 pages with the cliff notes in front of every chapter, and news anchors are on television blown away by the information being read out loud to them. Their job to know what was in the report. So there's a case before the Supreme Court right now. <laughs> Over the 2020 census and efforts by the Trump administration to add a citizenship question. Wilbur Ross, a farmer's old pig that screwed up his wish to become a person. <laughs> almost got it. You know, he didn't, he didn't put enough, you got to be more specific. If you're an old pig and you're going to ask a genie to turn you into a person... How old do you want to be? What do you want your personality to be like? What do you want your head shape to look like? That was a dependent clause for the actual information. (laughs) Originally told Congress (laughs) that the request for a citizenship question came from the Justice Department in December of 2017 claiming it was about enforcing the Voting Rights Act, that they were adding a citizenship question to protect the right to vote. Didn't really seem believable at the time. Turns out, Ross was pressing for the question months earlier, and there was pressure from creeps like Chris Kobach and Steve Bannon as well to add it from the early days of the administration. Quote, I am mystified why nothing has been done in response to my months-old request that we include the citizenship question. Why not, Ross said in May before taking a huge slurp of split pea soup. <laughs> he's at three cans a day, but he's trying to cut back his New Year's resolution. And yet, according to the Washington Post, in internal memos, the Census Bureau's chief scientist had warned that adding the question would be very costly, harms the quality of the census count, and would use substantially less accurate citizenship data that are available. So it wasn't protecting voting rights. It would hurt accuracy. Then why? Why add the question? Well, at the end of this week, we were greeted with this New York Times headline, not the one about the aliens. Though that one about the aliens was pretty cool. And I like that a lot of people are like... If they're up there, like, where are they? Why aren't they landing? I don't know that I would land. Like, I don't know if aliens have pets, but like, if they do, it seems like Earth would be the kind of planet where your space dog gets parvo. <laughs> like, you like you can't take your dog to Earth. They they don't we don't have, we don't have shots for the things that they have there. <laughs> anyway, this was the headline. Deceased GOP strategist's hard drive reveal new details on the census citizenship question and you'll never believe the nickname Trump has for his corpse. The last bit wasn't in the headline. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the man who died was one of the architects of GOP gerrymandering across the country. His name was Tom Hofeller. Now, after he died, his estranged daughter discovered a plastic bag among his things full of hard drives and thumb drives. (laughs) Literally never in history. A good sign. (laughs) Nothing good has ever come from a bag full of hard drives. Literally never, ever in all of recorded time. She opens the bag, a black cloud of smoke escapes, and what does she discover? A trove of documents. And this guy is a truly leading expert on redistricting. And what did he say? He said that adding the citizenship question would make it possible to draw maps that, quote, would clearly be a disadvantage to the Democrats, and, quote, advantageous to Republicans and non-Hispanic whites. Not only that, there are tons of similarities between Tom's documents and Trump administration filings, including word-for-word copies in a draft letter from the Justice Department to the Census Bureau. And there was also a copy of that porn Ted Cruz liked on Twitter. (laughs) Anyway, Wilbur Ross and others seem to have lied under oath and they did it to hide what has been obvious from the jump. It's always been about suppressing the vote of Democrats and minorities. That's the whole point. That's their entire jam. I feel like part of the reason politics right now feels like a slog is it's a lot of people pointing out what's obvious to people who have invested their reputations and careers in pretending it's not true. So it's not about getting your opponent to see it your way. It's about getting them to admit that they've seen it your way the whole time but don't care, which sucks. So Justin Amash... It's just saying what Democrats say publicly and Republicans say privately. Robert Mueller and his deputy, Robert Mueller's square jaw, went to the cameras uh, to say, I couldn't indict, but look at this shit. I mean, Robert Mueller, <laughs> he's 24 gallons of whole milk poured into a Brooks Brothers suit. I caught him at 200 pounds. That's how I got 24 gallons. I didn't, what do you think, 200? He seems like classic 200. He's crash dummy size. Right? Like, they base the crash summary on Robert Mueller types. Those are the only people that the car companies originally planned to survive car crashes. You needed to be Robert Mueller-shaped. Anyone shorter, female, child? No. Cars were meant to protect the physical bodies of Robert Mueller's. People don't know that. All I'm saying is, there's a point to all this, I promise... Trump's crimes have been obvious for a long time. The fact that he's unfit for office has been true for a long time. He's basically been instructing justice on Twitter and with Lester Holt for the better part of his administration. What I'm saying is, if House Democrats found a bag full of secret documents in their deceased father's effects, it might seem uncouth to share it. You know, they might be worried about blowback. It might seem like an escalation. It might be unprecedented. It might get some on the right mad. But you do it anyway. You push aside those beige cardigans You look under the musty golf shoes. You reach down past the 1970s pornos and you pull out that thumb drive because sometimes you gotta root around it a dead man's shit to save democracy. That is the vibe I'm looking for from House Democrats. Get in there, into the personal effects of a dead man with whom you have broken your relationship. I want House Democrats to be visiting their grieving mother and take a moment to go into a side room and start combing through the drawers. That's the energy we need, because it's not about persuasion, because everybody knows what's true. So, in conclusion, estranged daughter of dead gerrymanderer for president 2020. Thank you. I brought it back around. All right, let's start the show. She is an actor and podcaster. You know her from IFC's Brockmire and her podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? Please welcome Tani Newsome. Hi. Hello. How you doing? I'm great, thank you. So good. I was gonna say, I really like the color of your, and I was gonna call it a hat, but I didn't even know if it was a hat, and so I panicked and moved forward. <laughs>
1: I'm glad you did, because somebody earlier today went, I like your turban, and I didn't know how to handle the politics of that either. It, it is neither.
0: It's a, it's a fraught headdress of some sort.
1: Yeah, there we go. Well, thank you.
0: And it looks nice. You can find him on Comedy Central and listen to his debut comedy album, Light Skinned Feeling. Please welcome back Langston Kerman.
2: Yeah. yeah. Hi. Hi. Say Hi. something problematic about my outfit. <laughs> how could I? It's perfect. <laughs> thank you.
0: He is the business columnist for New York Mag and host of KCRW's Left, Right, and Center. Please welcome back Josh Barrow. Hi, Josh. Hey, how's it going? So good. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Let's get into it. What a week. Special counsel Robert Mueller, or what would happen if a magic 8-ball went to Princeton, made his first public statement on the conclusion of the Russia investigation on Wednesday, in which he also announced he's resigning from the Department of Justice and returning to his life as a private citizen, which I can only imagine is him waking up at 6am to do 1950s calisthenics before reading legal textbooks with a belt just tight enough around his neck. Twinge of danger. Too much? Is
2: that
0: an erotic thing or what? Is it an erotic thing? Yes. What
2: the fuck else would it be? <laughs> I like that you were just like, no, this guy likes to have fun. No, yeah, yeah. Just sounds like a fun guy. Yeah,
0: he's, it's sexual for him. It's sexual. He reads the legal textbooks. That gets him aroused. The tightening of the belt around his neck makes him, first of all, lose some of his breath, also introduce a little bit of risk, like he could fall apart and die. And as someone who's been in total control of his career for so long, leading a big organization, that little bit of a lack of control just adds a little bit of extra sexual arousal
3: for him. That's what I meant. That's what the belt was about. I I think it's very unlikely Robert Mueller is into that.
0: (laughs) A lot of things are unlikely. Trump being president's unlikely. If I would have told you that you had to choose two things in September of 2014, one is Donald Trump's going to be president, and the other is Robert Mueller likes a little auto-erotic asphyxiation, <laughs> what would you have bet on? Something to think about. In his statement, Mueller said the following. One, if his office had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. They did not say so. Two, charging Trump with a crime wasn't an option for Mueller. Citing Justice Department legal guidance, Mueller asserted that a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. This means Bill Barr lied. Barr repeatedly claimed in testimony to Congress that the Justice Department legal guidance was not the reason that Mueller declined to charge Trump with obstruction. Mueller said emphatically that it was. Three, only Congress can hold Hold Trump accountable for his crimes. Mueller said, quote, the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse the president of wrongdoing. That process is, of course, impeachment. As of this taping, there are currently 50 members of Congress who favor starting an impeachment inquiry, including Republican Justin Amash, but both House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerry Nadler, who leads the committee that would start an impeachment inquiry, made no explicit mentions of impeachment in their reactions to Mueller's statement. Nadler did, however, emphasize that it falls on Congress to respond to the crimes. Tani, I'll start with you. Yay. Why, <laughs> why do you think the Mueller announcement seemed to hit people harder than the actual report, even though he didn't say much of anything
4: new?
1: Oh, I like this. Okay, because it's kind of like when your math teacher, who previously had... To you, only spoken in numbers and like an, ar- some kind of arcane language that you didn't care about, suddenly started saying things with enough emphasis that you could tell something was going wrong in their home life. <laughs> so it was like he didn't say anything but read from the textbook, but I can just tell his wife has left him, you know? Like it felt like the way he said, there are other options, like he's really leaning on these words to where he's not saying anything that he isn't just reading, but like the inflection behind it. We haven't seen a ton of personality from this man, but this was a punk rock explosion from him.
0: (laughs) Josh, do you think Pelosi actually is playing a long game in which she knows she will end up at impeachment? Or do you genuinely believe she sees it as a bad move or some third option?
3: I think she thinks it's a bad move. I I think it's not as complicated as any sort of 20-dimensional chess here. It's, you know, the, first of all, I mean, we have polling data on this. A majority of Americans disapprove of Donald Trump. They think that the report shows wrongdoing, and they do not want an impeachment proceeding. Now, I'm sure if Democrats moved into one, those poll numbers would move because every poll question is basically the same poll question now. And so, like, you know, if the Democrats are doing it, then all the people who don't like Trump will decide, okay, this was the right thing to do. So I think the poll numbers on it would change, but I think the question, it's weird. We're sort of having all these people are sort of asking, well, Why not impeach? And I think the why impeach question actually hasn't been answered yet. Like, it's not just like the president did something impeachable and therefore impeach him. What are Democrats going to get out of impeaching the president? I think that's Pelosi's question. Like, they're not going to remove him. And so what other goal is served through the impeachment? I think the answer to that is not obvious. So let me me throw some what do we get from impeachment at you. Uh, we force Republicans in
0: the Senate, including Republicans in states where Trump is underwater, to defend voting to not remove him, despite the obviousness of his crimes. Thoughts?
3: I don't think that's a difficult vote for them. It's priced in. their Republican senators. They're supporting Donald Trump. I mean, obviously it's bad for Cory Gardner in Colorado, who I think is going to lose his election anyway. But I think mostly, you know, Republicans have decided that it makes sense politically to line up with what the president is doing. I think that calculus is the same with impeachment as with anything else left field pitch on
0: another reason it could be good right now where we're at is a kind of semi-impeached situation in which we are pursuing the case of impeachment without the tools of impeachment we're pursuing subpoenas in congress to investigate the president for his potential crimes yet there's no clear goal of those hearings if not for impeachment and there's no clear way to have a beginning a middle and an end to that process what do you say to Having a process where we declare we are going to do impeachment, we're going to look at his crimes, there will be a set amount of time focused on this issue, compelling evidence, compelling witness testimony, culminating in a vote, a vote we may lose, a vote that forces people on the record, but gets us out of this will we or won't we, one day there will be accountability moment we're in
3: well I'd say a few things about that first of all I think if Pelosi thought that it was inevitable that she was going to impeach she'd want to move quickly for exactly that reason that I think she wants an election that focuses on health care and other things that Democrats won on in 2018 and so if you moved now you'd get it out of the way it wouldn't be a thing that would be happening in 2020 but I also I, I question that you would actually force any of that to happen I mean first of all I don't think there's any remedy if Mitch McConnell just chooses not to hold a trial in the Senate Everyone's thinking about the example in 1999 when you had the trial of Bill Clinton, but that was a Republican majority in both houses. And so you had they impeached and then it, the, the Senate was run by people who wanted an airing of the grievances about the president. This time you're at the mercy of Mitch McConnell about how exactly that process would go in the Senate. I think there's no reason to assume that it would be a useful, you know, public closure event where everyone gets to talk about how we feel about this, and Democrats get to make their case, and there's a, a, a useful public trial. There could be no trial at all, or it could be, a, you know, a trial set on on McConnell's rules in a way that would not get that message out at all. What I think a shame!
1: We, I think we could get some cool T-shirts out of it, though.
0: No,
3: a lot of very, a lot of great hashtags, of cool
1: memes, lots of "you're uh, fired"
0: memes. You yeah. know,
1: think about it, Pelosi. Think of the memes.
0: Langston. Hell yeah.
2: How do you think Robert Mueller's going to spend his retirement? Oh, well, first of all, I had never heard his voice until this week. I didn't know what he sounded like. I'll be honest, I thought he was going to sound more like he fucks, but he doesn't. He doesn't really sound like he fucks that much, and I was surprised by that. So I hope he spends it fucking. I hope he bones a lot more and maybe his voice changes. Maybe it gets a little deeper. It matches. The, I like, you know, his jaw is very sturdy, but his voice is a little more like mine, and I don't, I didn't care for that at all. <laughs> it didn't feel good when he was talking. I didn't like it. What's so strange is to imagine
0: while you were watching Robert Mueller, you were projecting your own sense of inadequacy about oh, yourself. Oh,
2: yeah. I was like, yeah, uh, this guy had to go to speech classes. I hate it. <laughs> I still think we should impeach him. Yeah. a
3: big reason that liberals want impeachment is that it would feel good. It feels like he deserves it, and he does deserve it. And I think people have this idea that it's somehow it's accountability. I don't know that impeachment without removal imposes any accountability, but I think there's a sense that, like, he deserves it. I think he, it's... Well, of course But he I, I don't think it. that's important.
0: I, I, I do think it's important. But it's also, I mean, what we are talking about is ramping up the version of accountability that we are currently providing, which I think you would recognize is inadequate, right? Democrats in the House... Do not have right now the ability to get the testimony and information they need and the attention and the microphone they need to make the case they want. You're right. Mitch McConnell has control over exactly what kind of trial we'll see in the Senate. But in the House, you don't think that there is value to the country above and beyond the value we're currently getting from the versions of hearing we're currently seeing of having serious views, attention, coverage on what we learned in the Mueller report and a broader case about corruption and unfitness and and abuse
3: of power. There's been a lot of attention to this story over the last few years, and I grant that you would get a greater intensity of attention for some period, but when I look back over that period, the president's poll numbers don't move at all on developments around the Russia scandal. When there's bad news for it, it doesn't matter for his numbers. When there's good news for it, it doesn't improve his numbers. And so I think the idea that, you know, well, by doing this and by bringing this forth in this even more public way, then finally people will be forced to pay attention and they will realize all of the bad things that he did. I just think that's not true. I think it's a thing that doesn't move the needle. And I think that's what Pelosi realizes. But There there are other things they can do that move the needle.
0: Well, I I think Pelosi realizes that her caucus is not in favor of it. And and she's trying to make sure that there's no embarrassing vote in which she doesn't have unanimity or close to it in her caucus. But I would argue, first of all, I feel like that's a bit of a straw man to say, like, oh, it's going to finally
2: change the minds of everybody. We're playing on the margins here. I don't think
3: it even matters on the margins because I think it hasn't mattered
2: on the margins in the last three years. I agree that we should be pursuing it to some extent, but I think that, that part of it is more about just the need for Democrats to get messy for a little bit. Like, I feel like a lot of the game has been sort of we are going to play by the rules. We are going to be polite. We're going to sort of always honor the way that he behaves. And to a certain extent, it doesn't work. Like, you kind of have to be able to, like, go up and say something wild and stand behind your beliefs. And people vibe with that because they recognize themselves in an honest reaction to a bunch of fuck shit. So it's yeah. like, no, I, I like that you're saying I don't like this person. I would like for justice to be served as opposed to, well, we're going to figure out if it's the responsible... Well, I don't know what you're saying, bro. Just tell me how you actually feel. Yeah, I think that's right. But what I come back to is, I, I think actually this
0: idea of impeachment as having some grand consequence is probably not true in one direction or another. But I do see value in a concentrated effort in which Democratic elected officials seem as though they are responding to the will of their base to do the utmost to demonstrate their problem with what Donald Trump has done as president, it may culminate in a two-month period of attention that may not move the needle in terms of national poll numbers that ultimately may result in an acquittal. But it does afford us the ability to say, we held our trial, we made our case, we showed this information to the American people, these Republicans in the Senate coward, and now we're on to talk about the issues you care about most, health care, taxes, what have you, without this endless, almost impeachment, this endless semi-investigation world that we've been living in for months. Because the The final thing that convinced me that we probably should do it is how unsatisfying and ineffective and bad these past few weeks have felt. And I I know that that, you're going to make fun of me. Go. But that is
3: true. Well, I just, I, I, I don't buy the assumption that there has to be a satisfying option. Just because this is unsatisfying doesn't mean that some other thing that you might do will be any more satisfying. Yes, the Democrats in the House of Representatives are not holding the president accountable. That's because they lack the tools that would be needed to hold the president accountable. I mean, they can investigate, and maybe we'll learn more things in the investigation, but ultimately it's the electorate that has the tools to hold the president accountable. The Senate's not going to remove him. And what
0: do you say to the fact that Democratic voters are looking to their elected officials to prove to them that they get it? That they I don't get how serious a threat they view Trump.
3: I don't buy the existence of a voter whose key issue is I'm really bothered by Donald Trump. I want Congress to stand up more to Donald Trump, who will then watch Congress not do that and decide that the consequence of that is I'm not going to show up in 2020. But that's not to what vote, we're talking about. To vote out Donald but, Trump. But
0: that, that thats over what I'm saying. That we're trying to again. We're playing at the margin. There are people who want to know that Democrats get how angry they are, that want to know that Democrats will fight for them the way that they believe they should be fought uh, yeah, for. Yeah, I got, somebody got all dressed corner. up for
2: prom. Somebody better ask me. Take me Langson out. wants to fuck. I'm trying to fuck. So impeachment wonder... fucks. <laughs> Investigations without impeachment are masturbation. Yeah. At least the hand job is what I say. That's a classic quote from me. <laughs> That is a I'm, classic quote. I've From said Lincoln. it on every appearance of yeah. this show. It's, it's a don't catchphrase. go back and check. <laughs> classic. Every time I'm here, I say
1: that. I wonder, and I don't know what it takes to move the margins. That's not my job, thank God. But oh, I wonder, does it matter, these people, we probably all have them in our family, who are kind of these like diehard moderates, follow the letter of the law, don't pay too much attention to all the scuttlebutt and the bipartisan whatever, whatever, I lived in the Midwest a long time. I know a lot of these people who if there was a clear example of wrongdoing as set forth, you know, these people who trust the government, who trust the process so much that just need kind of a clear something so that impeachment could provide that to move the needle, at least for those people. I know plenty of those people who are just like, well, if you really did something wrong, we would know, wouldn't we? Because they don't just trust all the like gossip and the partisan
3: bullshit. I think that's the role the Department of Justice could have played. I think people see the House as a, as a partisan political institution, which it is. I think this is part of the frustration with Robert Mueller, as you describe, being like a magic eight ball. If he had come out and said the president's behavior was indictable, but I didn't indict him because X, Y, Z, I think that is something that might have convinced some people because of the standing that Robert Mueller has. Isn't I think that what, what he said? No, it's not what he said.
0: What he claims is... Don't you believe that Robert Mueller believes Donald Trump committed crimes that if he weren't president, he would be indicted for? Uh, What I was saying was that he didn't say that. But we all know he believes it. You
3: believe he believes it. He is... Got it. Fucking... You're right. I'm just interrupting you because you're right. The extreme... (laughs) 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 He's a bizarre person. Like, his level of formalism. This has been something that's been equally unsatisfying to liberals and conservatives. Like, why doesn't Mueller just fucking say what it is that he's saying here in this report? Why didn't he make a prosecutorial recommendation one way or another? I think that's been unsatisfying to everyone. And I think he genuinely believes this thing about it's improper to make a prosecutorial recommendation if you can't prosecute. And what his claim is, that is that because he knew he couldn't make the recommendation, he never even decided what the recommendation would be. Now, I can't get inside his head. It seems like, you know, I, th- I think the readings of the report are convincing where people say, well, this is the sort of behavior you would indict. I can't tell you whether he's actually so capable of compartmentalizing that he never went through that mental exercise himself. But he definitely has made a very clear point of not saying it out loud. Yeah, he does talk
0: like the book that instructs the Beetlejuice ghosts how to be ghosts, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's And it, it is also frustrating to me, too, this thing of if I could clearly say he didn't commit a crime, I would have said it. Because it does fall outside of how our system is supposed to work to say that if I had proved he didn't commit a crime, I would have said it, as if we're supposed to read between the lines. Because here's the thing. If he came to the conclusion that there wasn't a case for impeachment, you wouldn't have to say, I conclude that he didn't not commit a crime. You would just simply not say anything, right? It's all predicated on him avoiding saying Donald Trump should be indicted.
1: Yeah, I also was really listening to the way he said could. The way he said could didn't sound like I was not able to, it sounded like I was not permitted to. So I was really like listening in that way where he's saying like we could not do this. We were not permitted to do this. Isn't there
0: all sorts of testimony that happens that happen? Isn't there all kinds of testimony <laughs> that would happen with impeachment that wouldn't happen if there wasn't impeachment? I, I you could, you and could, discovery.
3: You could <laughs> subpoena them before committees in the in the ordinary order. Now there's some But they're violating
0: those subpoenas. Don't we need judges to enforce the subpoenas? And, that eru- and, they've,
3: been, and they've been losing in the courts. When that is true. It is subpoenas. good. So maybe we're getting what we need anyway. There, there is some question of if they were able to defeat some of these subpoenas on this bizarre theory they have that there's no valid legislative purpose for the subpoena, then opening the impeachment inquiry could make it easier to enforce those subpoenas. Now, my, my expectation is that the Trump administration is not going to win on that theory anyway.
0: Do you think that if they lose in the courts on these subpoenas that they will then obey the subpoenas? Because that, to me, is the moment everything changes, right? The moment they simply reject what the court has told them to do, that will
3: be an unprecedented moment. Are you worried about that? So far, the administration has more or less followed court orders than have. I know hates. they have. Yeah. I know they have. But are you worried about it? not very I wouldn't bet my life on it the, the president didn't like a lot of the orders about the Muslim ban and that sort of thing but the administration was was
2: following those orders while they were in effect I think there's no like difference for like the person at home between a subpoena and going to the you know impeachment proceedings and all that stuff.
3: I think there's two differences. One is, I think, to John's point, I think it draws more attention, so more people are paying attention to what the fight is. But the other thing is, you know, it's not just people on the left who pay attention to what happens here. And I think the president likes playing a martyr. And I think the question is, you know, you you talk about, you know, do Democrats want to see this done? I'm very skeptical that the particular kinds of voters for whom this is a top issue, I think are very partisan, very activated voters, where there just isn't that much to do with the margin in terms of of, of activation for them. But I think on the Republican side, there are a lot of people who were marginally attached Voters who turned out for Trump who had not voted in previous presidential elections, and a very effective message for them is the president is under attack, and we need you to come out and defend the president from these attacks on him. So you have to remember, things that are effective at you know bringing out enthusiasm on your side can be even more effective on the other side.
0: Yes. I, I, I would say this, though. That will happen anyway. The next year, that is what they are going to say no matter what. So what I I'm just talking to, on the margins. I, we're all just talking on the margins. Shut up. The, uh, <laughs> To me, what I, my, like, I, I hear you. And I actually think probably the ultimate reality is it's going to be hard to know one way or the other whether or not impeachment was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, even if we do it. But my final reason for believing it's right is it's not about whether we're going to do investigations or whether we're going to do some kind of process for trying to get to the bottom of what Trump did. It's whether it's going to be eight months of sous vide Trump or like two months in a pizza oven. And I just think the meat may not be as tender... But it'll be a better roast on it if we get it in a hotter oven for just two months.
2: I think we fixed it, (laughs) y'all.
0: I think it's done. (laughs) You guys still on board for impeachment? You didn't find him persuasive? I brought. (laughs) Boo Josh if you didn't find him persuasive.
3: Go back to New York. (laughs) I I think this goes to my thesis of uh, impeachment as, you know, like liberal crowd pleaser activity.
0: Yeah, you know what? We've been through a lot. Let's please some fucking crowds. Lock him up. When we come back. Okay, stop.
3: Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up.
0: Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. The experts at fast-growing trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why fast-growing trees is perfect for me, because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LOVEIT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code LOVEIT at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code LOVEIT. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. And now it's time for OK Stop. Here's how it works. (laughs) We'll roll the clip, and the panel could say, okay, stop at any point to comment. 45 minutes of what a week. We're gonna move quickly now. (laughs) Laura Ingram, the woman in a white Porsche Cayenne who stole your parking spot, watched Mueller's press conference too, and guess what, she had a lot to say. Let's roll the clip.
3: He went out of his way, I believe, to help Attorney General Barr. He said that he appreciated Barr's releasing most of the report To the public, and did not question his good faith in releasing it in the way that he did. On that that issue. Yeah, no, no, but
5: you got to listen to him very carefully on that because I did. He said, I don't question his good faith on that issue. I mean, you know, let's do our parsing. We're all lawyers here. Let's do the parsing. Okay, stop. Um, Okay, stop.
3: Everyone is so convinced that they can read so much into Robert Mueller's tone of voice. And now including s- including Tawny. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I paid too much money to go to an acting college. I definitely can read into his tone of voice. My mother sold a home so that I could learn dialects and fucking body movement. <laughs> My
5: question is, Saul, and you're giving him a pass. Like, you know, a lot of people give him a pass. I'm not giving him a pass. There was no reason he had to come out I'm because what they were, giving away, the, the, they were okay, giving away. They're giving away the staplers. They're giving away the
2: staplers stop. today. So- Wait, is Laura Ingram a lawyer? do we have proof of that or is that like one of those things that you could just say now well <laughs> cause I'll say it I swear to god I'll say it I think she is a lawyer because uh,
0: portions of the devil's advocate are loosely based on her life
5: <laughs> uh, that was Tiffany Ann Pertheson's greatest role I'll stand by that come out in front of the cameras to resuscitate the whole impeachment thing. There was no reason he had to come out today. He came out because he's a member of this city's, you don't live here, I do. This city's legal establishment has always hated Donald Trump. Okay,
0: stop. I mean, that's true, that's true. Anyone with a postgraduate degree hates Donald Trump. That's the world we live in.
1: Um, I like the hype man woman over on the on the left here. Just the hype woman who's just, like, nodding, you know? She's like a boss tone. She's just like, mm-hmm. Everybody remember the boss tone? No? That was the guy oh. who just danced in the mighty, mighty boss tones. <laughs>
5: they think he's uncouth. They think he's not smart. They think he didn't deserve the presidency. He didn't... Okay, stop. So.
3: Okay, so, this is still accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like this part. Yeah,
0: I mean... She's ba- She's using that legal degree so far.
1: I like that they think he's dumb, they think he has bad hair, they think he's racist. They think
0: people like me have pushed down the part of themselves that know it's wrong because it was an easier way to live my life during this time to make millions of dollars while ostensibly promoting conservatism and forcing down the part of myself that is disgusted by the kind of man Trump is.
5: <laughs> yep. And they never wanted him to be president. There's no reason for a prosecutor to get out there before the cameras. Your reaction? Absolutely.
2: Does anybody else think Laura Ingram looks like a candle that put itself back together? You know what I mean? Just like rebuilt the wax with whatever was at the bottom. You know what I mean? It's not good.
1: I also, I'm sorry, I gotta take issue with the name The Ingram Mangle. Like, do you want somebody to always sound like they have peanut butter in their mouth when they're saying the title <laughs> of your show? The Ingram Ingramangle, like get a hard consonant in there and respect your fucking self. Or, <laughs> and
5: I disagree with Saul here. You didn't mind in front
6: of the camera.
1: I, I disagree he with Saul this, the, 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 He didn't prosecute the case.
5: He didn't prosecute the case, Saul. Nice try. Go, ahead. Yeah. Right. I think that by coming out <laughs> okay, in, okay, stop.
2: And, Hey, I do like her being like, shut the fuck up, Saul. We're done with you, Saul.
1: She kind of sounds like, like a Chicago used car salesman sometimes. Like, hey, 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 they didn't they didn't prosecute the case, all right? You're just like, whoa, where'd this teamster come from? Saul, the
0: face with your box is gone from the screen, you dumbass. No,
1: bring Saul back. No, bring, bring him back. back one time. I'm going to fuck his ass up. Come here.
2: Let me look at him, you piece of shit, Saul. Where's your tie, Saul? <laughs> Where's your tie? Why are you scowling? You come on the angle looking like that, you piece of shit so
5: I hate you. He's that jerk who has to have the last word, right? Okay, so stop.
0: Could you imagine being a supporter of Donald Trump on Donald Trump's network on the Donald Trump racist variety hour, also known as the Ingram angle. Ingram the Angle and saying, Bleh. Check out this Robert Mueller guy, last word freak. He has said one word in three years. It's his first and, that's the only t- People, Langston hadn't heard his fucking voice. Never heard it. <laughs> Donald Trump's on television every day. He's hiding ships in Japan. John McCain is dead. And Donald Trump can't stop getting the last word. Robert Mueller, last word freak. What are you talking about? They got to cover up McCain on the USS McCain because Donald Trump, if he sees it, in front of a memorial on Memorial Day will
2: start yelling about famous veteran John McCain. So they gotta cover up the letters. And wasn't it, it's not even his boat, right? It's like his dad's boat or some shit. Yeah, his grandfather's boat. He just doesn't even like the idea of where this man came from.
1: Ugh. Also, free punch-up for the Ingram angle. The Ingram right angle. Come on. Be better writers, everyone.
2: I didn't like it, but I support your work.
1: I mean, I just... <laughs> 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 Look, I'm just trying to help her out.
5: I not have to come out and smear the president again, like his report does, but then he also has to say, I'm not going to answer any questions from Congress or the Senate. I'm gone. That's right. Okay, stop.
3: What she really wants is Mueller to go answer a bunch of questions from Congress. Be careful what you wish for.
5: So
0: that's really interesting because today there was a report that Republicans in Congress are starting to change their mind and thinking like, oh, maybe we should get this Robert Mueller guy up here, maybe start poking a few holes in it. So they can
3: ask about the FBI conspiracy to frame the president. Right. I mean, that's literally how Republicans will spend their time if there is a Robert Mueller testimony. It's true of uh, 2020 Democratic candidates.
0: It's true of Republican members of Congress. When they're in their showers, they're all in a few good men. You know? Every single fucking one of them. But when they actually get to the microphones, it's just night court. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, in their minds, they're saying you can't handle the truth. Once they actually get in front of the microphones, I can't remember any of the characters' names from Bull. <laughs> I got it first.
5: <laughs> if I wanted to clear him of a crime, I would have said so. That's right. That's no, right. No, but no, no, it's like a girl no, thing. But, but but, but I'm I'm mean, Okay, okay stop. Uh,
0: little casual woman-on-woman violence there at the end.
3: Very it's fun. like a
0: girl thing. Robert Mueller. <laughs>
3: Famous girly man Robert yeah. Mueller. Robert,
0: you know those—you know those teen girls with their texting and their four hundred page reports documenting multiple <laughs> examples of obstruction of justice, followed by several weeks of feeling as though your words are being poorly interpreted, followed by an eight minute speech in which you very carefully describe the findings of your report without leaning one way or another or adding fuel to either side's particular partisan angle. Classic teen girls. <laughs> We wear pink on Wednesday, says Robert Muller. And that's okay stop. Now back to what a week. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: yeah, I have ten more minutes to do. What do you
0: When we come back, we're gonna play a game about some twenty twenty contenders early tweets.
3: Don't go anywhere. This is love it or leave it, and there's more on the way.
0: Democratic politicians. There's nothing that scares them more than talking out loud without focus grouping at first. And for a lot of 2020 candidates, every single word they say is very carefully calibrated. But here's the thing. They've only been running for president for a few months. And before that, they might have let their guard down just a little on a website we call Twitter.com. So we went back to some of the first tweets ever sent by 2020 candidates, and some of them were pretty interesting, pretty revealing. So we're going to bring back one of our favorite games to showcase some of these early tweets in a game we're calling... Early tweet gets the fave. Would someone out there like to play the game? How's your what's your name? Mia. Mia? Yes. Are you familiar with Twitter?
6: Uh yes. Okay, I follow cool. you. Oh good. <laughs>
0: so here's how it works, Mia. Okay. Was it Mia? Yes. I knew. Uh, I will read a real old tweet from a famous public figure and you'll have to guess who wrote it. Oh
5: God.
0: Okay. Okay. Question one. This current presidential candidate tweeted the following in March of 2009. It received zero faves and zero (laughs) retweets. Los Lonely Boys, Cowboys, Dane Hall tonight. Doors open at seven. Tickets, twenty (laughs) dollars. Clues: Just chime in when you think you've got it. He's a former mayor. He's at around one percent of the polls. He's a twin.
6: Cory Booker.
2: No. (laughs)
0: Julian Castro. Sorry, there's no Cory Booker twin. I don't think. Is there? We would. I would know that. That would have come no. up. Yes, that's true. It was Julian Castro. Also, in 2012, he sent a tweet that just said the word economy, and it got one. It got one retweet. Question two, Mia, and you're doing terribly. I know in, July, <laughs> in January of 2011, this presidential candidate tweeted the following: Walking down the street to go buy lunch, and a bird just crapped on my arm. <laughs> clue. This person is a member of the House. This person was critical of LGBT rights as recently as 2005. This person met secretly with Bashar al-Assad and we don't really know why.
6: Tulsi. You, you got it. <laughs> <They> got it. <laughs> You're
0: going to ignore the whispering the word Tulsi 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 Just her supporters whispering her name on the wind. Question three. In March of 2012 this current presidential candidate received ten retweets and three likes for the following tweet. Spoke at Invasive Species Conf today, except for understandable trauma associated with guys showing up with two huge, dead, smelly carp, it went well. <laughs> Clues is a member of the United States Senate, is currently polling at around 2%, could definitely take you out in a bar fight.
2: Corey. Gonna go with him again. Oh. Amy
0: Klobuchar, so close. <laughs> Mia, question four. In May of 2010, this current presidential candidate received zero retweets and zero faves when, he tweeted th- when they tweeted the following.
3: <laughs> is it Kirsten Gillibrand?
0: <laughs> <laughs> At A plus K, Ashton Kutcher, saw you on HuffPost, loved what you said about change in way media is distributed and consumed. Thanks for introducing me to a new world for change. <laughs> Clues. What? <laughs> Former mayor loves coffee. You've guessed him seven times.
6: <laughs> I got
0: you got it. It's Corey Booker. <laughs> Here are a few more, Mia, from Corey. Question: What does a vegetarian mayor booker and a vampire have in common? Answer, they both hate steak. Joke by Cory Booker. I believe this was a Halloween tweet. I hope. I hope this was in October. <laughs>
1: God damn it.
0: Sorry, been a long day and I have to do this. Question, why did Tigger and Eeyore have their heads in the toilet? Answer, they were both looking for poo.
1: You didn't have to do that.
0: Nope, no one forced him to do that. Body tired, filters gone, can't stop myself, must pun. Why does Santa have three gardens? Mia? I'm
3: sorry, what?
2: Because he likes to ho, ho, ho. I love that, oh that this is him untethered, just unleashed. Cory Booker, woo, we out here.
1: I just picture I him coming s- home after a long day and like taking off his pants, just like, uh. now I'm free to do my job. <laughs> Y'all about to puns. get these tweets.
0: There are so many more that I'm not going to read. Uh, here's another one, Mia. And again, you're doing terribly in the game, and there's no more questions. Now this is the part of the game where you win by me just reading things to you.
1: I'm okay with
0: that. You're doing great, Mia. Well, I came? <laughs> Thank
1: you.
0: The stakes are so low, and you're gonna get the gift card. <laughs> Next one. I need a cup of coffee. There's too much blood in my caffeine system.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> you're just <kidding. laughs>
0: I have so many more.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm not in any way qualified to give advice on the stock market, but with all the coffee I'm drinking today, <laughs> buy Starbucks. <laughs> 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 I used to be a tea teetotaler. Being mayor has driven me to drink coffee. Now I'm like those coffee drinking aliens from men in
2: black. <laughs> like, End of tweet.
1: This is violence.
2: <laughs> now nah, he's gotta drop out. <laughs> he can't how do you, you how do you face us now? How do uh, you
1: walk up to us?
2: Final one I'll read.
0: This one, um, just know that where the rhymes are, there are the hashes, that, the little slashes that mark the break, the line break. So just imagine the line breaks. You know, this is a poem. Four a.m. sleep went away. Been shacking up with coffee all day. Black, brown, all different hues. Slurping my song.
2: The sleep lost coffee blues. Here's the question, does coffee at this point have a right to claim harassment? <laughs> Can coffee be like, nah, I'm not comfortable anymore. Hashtag me too. This isn't okay, Cory Booker.
1: I just got mad that he's black. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back. We don't need
0: this. Oh, Mia, you've won the game. And (laughs) And a parachute gift card. Great job, Mia. The stench of Cory Booker's tweets has cleared away some of your wrong answers. No one even remembers. When we come back, let's talk about aliens and climate change.
3: Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up.
0: Earlier this week, the New York Times dropped a story that surprised a lot of folks. They revealed that for the last decade, the U.S. Navy has been monitoring UFOs off the East Coast of the United States that seem to defy the laws of physics. There are high-level Navy officials speaking on the record and even video evidence of the sightings. And because of this, people lost their goddamn minds. (laughs) Are aliens coming to destroy us? How long have they been here? Is there an existential threat to Earth? And this got us thinking there is already an existential threat to Earth, and it's called climate change. And maybe we could get more people to talk and act on climate change if we just start calling it aliens. So we thought we'd highlight what we mean in a segment we're calling Killer Carbon from Outer Space. We'll go down the line. Each panelist will read some facts about an existential threat that a current alien invasion is causing on Earth. Tawny, take us away.
1: I'm Gerf Whitley, reporting for ABC News. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. Terror spreads up and down the California coast as the aliens continue their decimation of planet Earth, this time targeting, you guessed it, the trees. Right in front of our noses, aliens have been raising the temperature of our planet over the last century in what can only be considered climate warfare. This ingenious death trap uses our own atmosphere to make forests more fire-prone. This sustained multi-year eco-attack has meant that nine out of the ten largest wildfires in California history have happened since 2003. And just last year, California saw more than 8,500 total fires statewide the most ever but these violent extraterrestrials won't stop there in november well after the traditional fire season ended one alien fire attack killed 86 people and destroyed more property than any other wildfire in state history aliens are killing us
2: langston you're up grib tifton cbs news Aliens have arrived on planet Earth, and they are bringing death to coral reefs. For the past 30 years, we naively went about our daily lives, blissfully unaware that creatures from outer space were ruthlessly killing half of the planet's sweet, sweet little corals. What is coral? No one knows. Is it a plant? Is it a fish? Well, it won't matter, because if this extraterrestrial threat is not stopped, over 90% of the population will be dead by 2050. May God have mercy on all of us. Hey, hey, you clap. You clap for her, you clap for me too. Josh, you're up.
3: I'm Granice Bleachers, WTNH News Channel 8. These invaders from another world bring with them naught but pestilence and death, and their cruelty and destruction knows no bounds. Fifty years ago, dengue fever was all but eradicated from the United States, but since 2001, there have been outbreaks in Hawaii, Texas, and Florida, as though the malady were reanimated by a sinister, inhuman intelligence. Martians are also worsening the spread of other mosquito-borne illnesses, including Zika, West Nile virus, and malaria. As the terrible plans of these spacemen come to fruition, increasing numbers of humans will suffer from asthma, heart disease, mental illness, venomous snake bites, and, of course, complications associated with the increasing number of abduction-related probes.
0: I'm Splat Frample, filling in tonight for Granice Bleachers, who died of dengue fever. We're we're approaching the end of planet Earth. The little green flying saucer men have weapons we cannot begin to comprehend. By this century's end, temperatures in New Delhi could be so high that it is literally uninhabitable, and humans could not stay alive outdoors for longer than six hours. By 2100, flooding could turn more than 2.5 million Miami residents into refugees with no place to store their cocaine and white leather couches. (laughs) Scientists report an additional one degree Celsius of... aliens can exp... (laughs) (laughs) can expect a 200 to 400% increase in the area burned by wildfires in the western U.S. each year. To avoid this fate, we must make sweeping, unprecedented changes to our energy grid, our infrastructure, and switch to paper straws, apparently. It won't be easy, but should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. We'll get used to the paper straws. Today, we celebrate celebrate our independence day and that's what it would be like if it was aliens we come back the rant wheel
3: don't go anywhere this is love it or leave it and there's more on the way
6: Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court.
4: New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts.
5: And we're back.
0: Now it's time for the rant wheel. And you know how it works. We spin the wheel wherever it lands. We rant about the topic. This week on The Wheel, we have Bittersweet Symphony... Detective Pikachu, infrastructure costs, live action Aladdin, Mount Everest congestion, crying watching airplane movies, the Harriet Tubman $20 bill, and hiding the USS John McCain, a rant I accidentally did during OK Stop. (laughs) Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Detective Pikachu. I can't wait to hear what you have to say.
2: Oh, I'm fired up, everybody. I'm pissed, and I haven't seen this film. I'm not gonna lie to you. I haven't, I haven't watched a single minute of this shit show, Detective Pikachu, but I'll say this. I don't buy it. I don't like it. I don't like that it exists. This whole thing, and I stand by this, Detective Pikachu is just another bullshit way for me and my community to be sympathetic to the police. And I don't like it. (laughs) They're trying to scam me into liking police officers, the same way that they do every time they murder some, like, teenager, some black kid. They always, you always go on Facebook and there's a bunch of police dance videos. Like, you know, it's like the Miami department is suddenly learning to do the nay-nay. I don't need that shit. (laughs) And this is the same thing. They're trying to make police officers cute and and soft. And Pikachu isn't, he's not police. He's not supposed to be a fucking detective. He's supposed to be weird and only say his own name. That's it. But now they made him sexy and Ryan Reynolds is involved and he's staring in the camera for some reason. I don't care for it. Fuck the police and fuck Detective Pikachu. Hell yeah. Counterpoint.
0: (laughs) I have seen Detective Pikachu. And I'll tell you something else. That film was written by Dan Hernandez and Benji Samet two of my best friends in the whole world. And I didn't tell you when you suggested this rant, and I didn't even give a hint to you that it was the case, because I wanted to hear what you had to say, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I got to see what you were going to say about a sweet, strange movie called Detective Pikachu that reminds us that there's a hero in everyone. And it doesn't matter what shape you come in, whether it's tiny, electric, bird, squirrel, (laughs) or fire-breathing char dragon, that we live in a world where anything is possible, and I don't even believe he's technically associated with the police, because he's a little uh, animal who wears a detective hat, not a badge. (laughs) And it's a delightful romp, and I recommend everyone buy it on iTunes because I think they get a chunk of that and I don't know what happens if you watch it on a plane but that's fine too I guess
1: my favorite part of it I also watched it and this is a spoiler 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 plug your ears spoiler if you haven't seen it my favorite part is the end because it's like hey kids if you have a dead parent maybe they're not (laughs) it's so fucked up
0: and it's weird and fucked up at the end the actual, when you step back and think about it, you're like, this movie's darker and weirder when you pause and imagine what actually happened in this
2: universe. They
1: torture a police witness. It's really fucked. See? Yeah.
2: See, I wasn't wrong. I wa- I knew this motherfucker was corrupt. You could see it. Who's that taking with detectives? He's a weirdo. I don't like him. I'm sorry, your friends wrote that shit. <laughs> I'm so
0: angry. Let's spin it again. It has landed on live action Aladdin. How do you not fall in love with a story called Aladdin? It's a beautiful, weird, misogynist very retrograde story with really beautiful songs that get me every fucking time. They really didn't change the genie enough to justify having it go from dead Robin Williams to living Will Smith. And honestly, and honestly, they drain the queerness right out of that thing. I, you know, when I first started seeing, look, there have been there, much has been written, much has been written about the fact that Disney employed gay tropes in their villains whether it's Iago or, or, not Iago, Jafar, I know Ursula, sorry, sorry Ursula, although I gotta say that parrot Godfrey played it kind of gay too Jafar even the genie, Robin Williams' genie was flamboyant Ursula the sea witch was really just a drag queen Scar, Jeremy Irons just gated up all over Pride Rock and I know that people are like, oh, you know, it's bad that gay people represent villains in these films. I gotta tell you, I miss it. I miss it, because I do not feel seen in these films. And maybe it's just the villains, but the villains in those Disney movies are the only people that seem to know what the fuck is going on. And it was nice that in every Disney movie, there's one gay person who's like, they're dumb, they're dumb, they're dumb, they're dumb, they're dumb. And that was cool. That was cool. You know, maybe... you Look, I knew I was never gonna be Simba, but I but I could be Scar, you know? I'll never, I'll never be the Sultan. I'll never be, oh, oh, I was gonna say, who's the lead in Aladdin? I'll never be Aladdin. I'll never get Jasmine, but I could have a fast talking parrot on my shoulder and a snake that controls the Sultan's mind. We can dream and reach for things because we see ourselves on screen. Anyway, the point is, I'll see every single one of these remakes, and it's all working completely well on me. Let's spin it again. (laughs) It has landed on infrastructure costs. Josh, this was your suggestion. I'm very excited for this rant.
3: Uh, so first of all I appreciate the opportunity to to plug something else I I like the shameless plug hit it I have a feature in the current issue of New York Magazine about why we can't build anything nice in the United States and basically this is a thing where other countries are just way better than us when they build subways and other big complex infrastructure we sort of end up paying three times as much per unit of stuff as they would pay in France or Italy or Spain or things like that so like here in LA you're getting a nine mile extension of the Purple Line is going to cost a billion dollars a mile Paris is currently building an extremely similar extension of line 14 of their subway it's costing half as much costs are even higher in new york than they are here in la and people say you know well you know our crumbling roads and bridges and we need to invest a reason that the investments don't work that well is just you know we need to put in three times as much money as they do in these other places just to get the same amount of stuff and so it's a good it's a reason not to spend and when we do spend we don't get very much
0: so everyone should read the piece what are what did you find are some of the reasons that our infrastructure costs are so much higher. Because this is something that I think as people are wringing their hands about, it's in New York, right? We just spent a quarter of a fucking trillion dollars to get the queue to go from 50th to 60th. Yes. So
3: what, what, what are some of the answers? So the unfortunate thing is that there's not one thing we do wrong. It's dozens of things. And a lot of them are really boring. Like we're bad at the way we do utility relocation. And like they show up and they don't know where the pipes are and they tear things out in the wrong order. There are like 50 other things like that. Um, and so that's, you know, the politicians who run these agencies, they know this is a problem. They want to fix it. And so it's not that they're unaware, it's that the, the problems are, are, there are lots of them, and each of them involves having some dumb political fight. Like one thing in New York is that we're building another level underground central. And the r- tracks go out into Queens and they merge with existing railroad tracks. And so when they do stuff in that rail yard, they need people from Amtrak, and they need people from the MTA, and they need people from the private contracting companies. And like sometimes Amtrak just doesn't show up. They don't have enough employees in New York. they don't have Enough people, they cancel the track outages, and that sounds like an annoying bureaucratic thing. The MTA says that Amtrak doing that has cost them three hundred and forty million dollars in the process of building out this project. And so you have, you know, you have all these New York politicians who are like, you know, why won't Donald Trump pay for our additional tunnel under the Hudson River that's supposed to cost twenty-four billion goddamn dollars, which would cost eight billion dollars if you tried to do it in Europe? And instead, those people should probably be calling Amtrak and be like, "What the fuck? Send your flagger to the construction site." So that we can build this thing for less than $11 billion. Last question about this. Is there any kind of like fucking
0: kick-ass administrator, technocrat, bureaucrat person who has found a recipe anywhere in the country to start wrangling people and figure out a place where there's a model for how to fix
3: this? No, some cities are better than others. <laughs> no, I'm no, Not, I'm serious. No. Nowhere in the U.S. is good at this. There are examples around the world that are. Madrid somehow builds these subways where they're like, we built a new subway station, and it was seven, it was 14 million dollars to build this station. Now the stations they're building in L.A. right now cost 120 million each. The ones in New York cost 400 million each. And so even in other countries in Europe, they send people to Madrid, and they're like, how do you do this? And it's sort of like he's a wizard. No one can quite figure out how the fuck. And the, they have this union guy... protections. Yeah. and They have
0: worker protections. They do. In Europe, it's. Europe, they, they have stronger protections often than we do.
3: Yeah. No, I mean so, some of it is labor costs in the US. It's more about staffing levels, it looks like, than it is about, you know, pay levels. It's that like, you know, more people drive the tunnel boring machine here than drive it in Madrid, and it's not clear why. And so some of that stuff should be fixed. One problem in New York is like there's only three contractors that'll work with the MTA. And so they don't really get into competitive bids. And so the contractors, instead of having an incentive to like negotiate hard with the unions, the contractors, their fee is a percentage of the project cost. So if there's too much labor cost, and that just means the contractor makes a bigger fee so there's nobody there who's really trying to push the cost down Um,
0: i find it fascinating i do think it is one of you know (laughs) when we look back on this period this may be one of the signal and most important challenges we didn't talk about because all the you know (laughs) politics aside our inability to build things now like we used to is going to be something we pay for for a hundred years building like roads Subways, that's space for an economy. That's what it means. You build a road somewhere, an economy can grow around it. So anyway, I'm fascinated by it. I don't care. I'll keep following up. (laughs) There's real consequences for this. So Barcelona and Madrid, which is roughly the same distance as San Francisco to Los Angeles, was able to build a high-speed rail to, I believe, a tenth of the population overall between the two metropolises. And... We can't build it in California. Newsom had said he had to cancel it basically because it was unaffordable and there was no way to do it successfully. Meanwhile, they did it in Spain, and I swear to God, if they can do something in Spain, we can do it in California. (laughs) Anyway, all right, let's spin it again. Someone check my math on the population numbers. I think that's right. I don't care. It's a podcast. It has landed on Bittersweet Symphony, suggested by Tane.
1: Yeah, I'm mad, you guys. Do you guys know about this Bittersweet Symphony verdict by The Verve? So that band, The Verve wrote a great song they used a sample from a stone song it's like this great rock and roll like injustice that like the rolling stones these mean you know millionaire douchebags stole money from this 90s alt rock band and so now all that's been reversed and like you know uh, richard ashcroft gave this big speech about how generous Mick and Keith were i'm not so much mad about the cases i'm mad that like our political environment is so all consuming right now that me a true dumb boring music nerd missed this entire news for like a month like knowing about obscure white guy rock and roll is kind of my shit thank you very much like I only know facts that impress like white dudes over 55 like I can clear a room but there will be one dude in glasses just being like putting down his copy of The Economist and being like I'm listening so I'm, I'm just I'm mad I saw this and I was like wait a minute they, they they settled this long dispute so the whole thing was that they sampled this piece of the Andrew Oldham uh, version the instrumental version of the last time and then and so I posted about it on Twitter but I was just like how did I miss this like like this is my whole thing is knowing bullshit like this that no one my age or my color cares about but like this is kind of my brand you guys I posted it on Twitter and then a, another black woman was like well you know the Stones didn't even really write this anyway like they they borrowed it from the Staples Singers. And I had forgotten that bit of information. And I'm sorry, like blue-eyed soul musicians stealing shit from black people is like double, triple my shit. So the fact that, frankly, love it, I blame you and shows like this for consuming my brain and my time with uh, factual information that we all need. Like, why do I know Comey's name? Why do I know (laughs) Manafort's name? Why am I not instead boring you with anecdotes like, did you know that David Bowie used to perform at parties as a terrible mime? Isn't that fun? See, isn't that a fun thing to know? Did you guys know that Ike Turner, piece of shit that he was, technically invented guitar distortion because he was a dumbass and dropped his amp and broke it and then was like, I'm just gonna shove some paper in it and play through it anyway. And then we recorded the first ever distorted guitar. We would have no Kurt Cobain if it wasn't for Ike Turner. See, this is where now like everyone under 55's eyes are glazing over. There's one guy who's interested, but I want to know this shit. I don't want Anthony Scaramucci following me on Twitter. Love it? Why does he follow me on Twitter? Mooch, if you're listening, why do you follow me on Twitter? What have I ever said that you wanted to hear? Now that I'm listening to myself, maybe it was some of those details about, like, classic rock.
0: (laughs) I, I, You know, it's funny. I knew uh, that there was this dispute between The Verve yeah. and Rolling Stones. I did not know that it was over something that had been stolen from African-American artists years before. Yeah, Keith
1: Richards even admitted it in 2003.
0: But I really appreciate it for this reason. There is nothing that speaks to what our court system can do than two groups of wealthy white people fighting over something they stole from <laughs> black people in the 50s. <laughs> like, that is...
2: That's a, story, that's a story as old as time. Also sounds like Ike Turner was a pretty cool guy. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. No other takeaways
0: there. Thank you, Tawny, we for reminding later. us that Ike Turner nope. gets a bad rap. I cannot say. Uh. Tawny leading the move for you know, reevaluation reevaluation of Ike Turner. Fucking Turner. Nope. Nope. Ike Turner.
1: This is not what I did. I, uh, <laughs> this is not what I meant to do.
0: Um, that focus guy, on the mime. Focus no on the mistake. David what a Bowie talent. was a
1: mime. Tawny
0: Newsome on Love It or Leave It. Ike Turner, what a talent. And that's our show. <laughs> I want to thank Tawny Newsome, Langston Kerman, Josh Barrow, Nancy Pelosi, as always. And thanks to Madeline, superstar intern from Love It or Leave It. Her last day. Have a great night. I will be right back. we